David's prayer after Bathsheba, create in me a clean heart. I know I need to say that multiple times a day. The corruption of heart and the focus um, of people has gone away from truth and from justice and from peace and mercy. And we're not seeing that. And we're not seeing that from religious leaders in the church. Our hearts have not been turned in the right direction for several decades. Hmm. Hi, Paul Swearingen here on the Nonpartisan Evangelical. I am the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Talking a little current events, Bible, all this stuff going on. And uh, we have one of our favorite guests, Janae Huffman Gilreath, who is running for the Arkansas House District 94 election coming up in the primary in March. And she joins us on the podcast today. Janae, how are you? I'm well, Paul. How are you? Good. Glad to uh, have you with me and that I can see you online today, which we couldn't last time. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> well, we got good feedback from last time you were on with us. And so we appreciate you, you being on again and love your perspective. And so first, tell us, how is the campaign going? And, and it's going to be here before you know it. It is. Um, it's going really well. Still meeting a whole lot of people and getting great feedback um, from individuals. And so, as you know, I'm running as a Democrat. Um, I had been a Republican for the majority of my life, even worked in Washington, D.C. on the Hill as a, a Republican. Um, but I'm hearing from more and more people, and I think this is kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight, maybe, um, how there's a desire from people here in my hometown we're wanting somebody who's pragmatic and able to work with people across the aisle. So, you know, we have very polarized people and those are the people we hear from the most, but I think a whole lot of people just want everybody to be able to get along and especially our leaders. Well, that's interesting. And why did you feel like you could do that better as a, as a democratic candidate than, uh, or than a, a registered Republican, I guess is the question. That's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, why not start off with the, you know, the big guns here? Um, so I really, I had always thought of myself as a centrist Republican. Um, and as, as Obama came on the scene, I just really, really could relate to um, who he was as a person and how he led the country. And um, it made me question things even more. Um, I did a Bible study. I think I talked about this last time where I'd studied just the words of Christ um, at the same time studying the history of the Roman Empire. And the two combined really, really made me take a second look at my um, policy and political philosophy and theory and realized that really what the words of Christ said to me were not GOP, that hmm. they were espousing, taking care of, of those in, in need. And that when it said the poor you have with you always, it was, it, it took a new meaning to me that we shouldn't become discouraged, that our, our works are not creating a utopia um, but that we did need to continue on and to not grow weary. It says it at some place, don't grow weary in doing good. Um, so it really changed how I looked at the world and how I 
thought um, policy in the U.S. should be. So is there uh, a, a litmus test of being a, a Democratic candidate in Arkansas? Do they, uh, is, is, are there uh, certain tenets that you have to adhere to, or how has that process worked, and, and how has that fit into your, with your faith? So um, the Republicans do the litmus test to determine if you really are a Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the the Democratic Party in Arkansas is fractured like I'm seeing across the United States right now. I think both parties are very fractured, but um, there is a very strong um, socialist side of the Democratic Party rising up in in Arkansas as well as... um, the hardworking, um, I don't want to necessarily say blue collar, but those who weren't necessarily born into wealth um, and privilege um, that just want to see um, protections for people. Um, so yeah, there are some litmus tests, but you, you know, it depends upon which group you're with. So you're not a socialist though. I think there's some areas where we do need the government to step in. Um, We already have, if, if people are going to use the strict definition of socialism, um, I would say social security. Um, If they're anti-socialism, they need to turn that back, turn it over to their church. If they're so anti-socialism, because that is a form of socialism and socialism in and of itself is not evil. um, Because Jesus himself said, sell all your goods bring it to the church. We'll divide it amongst the poor. Um, people to, were to bring their meals and share them amongst themselves. Um, there are times when it's needed. Yeah. Roads. Roads are a form of socialism. Um, public schools. There is a need for a greater good. Um, and that greater good should be provided for by the government. Yeah. I, uh, I sort of always define socialism as uh, what my opponent wants the government to pay for, what I want the government to pay for is, <laughs> is you know, good deeds. And, and <laughs> so if I want, hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah, if I want uh, the government to underwrite farmers, that's me caring about industry and, you know, nothing socialistic about that. So socialism is what the other guy does, basically. <laughs> And I get it. There are extremes and and there are certainly uh, Democratic candidates that are a little more extreme in uh, in their social benefits than I would be. But uh, I also think, you know, the, the, the definition of socialism as a political weapon has become a little bit out of hand, like a lot of things in our culture today. I would very much agree. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I, we were talking before we came on and, and you were saying that it's it's been a little sad to think about where we are. We are, uh, as we're recording this, we're on the cusp of impeachment. It's expected to be voted on in the House and to pass on a completely partisan uh, line in the next couple of days. And uh, one of the things that I found interesting, and I want to play this real quick, is um, Denny Heck is a is a Republican or a, excuse me a Democratic congressman representative from Washington, and he talked about how he's retiring because he's thought about it for a while, but mostly because it just doesn't seem like you can work across the aisle at all anymore. And uh, this was his conversation on uh, NBC's Meet the Press. This sounded like a statement of somebody who felt defeated. Is that how this feels these days? Not so defeated, but my soul is weary, Chuck. I'm 
I will go to my grave not understanding how some of my colleagues could simply turn the other way and overlook the president's behavior and his misdeeds, who would overlook his unrelenting attack, frankly, on the free press, overlook his kind of vicious character assassinations, sometimes gratuitously, as in the instance of Ambassador Yovanovitch, and just frankly ignore the fact that he has such, to put it charitably, a very distant relationship with the truth. My soul is weary, he says. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a a very uh, provocative thought and one that I can in some ways relate with at times in in all of this. You know, you've talked a whole lot about um, Old Testament, the the minor prophets. (laughs) And, um, you know, I I think of Jonah a lot. He really irritated me. (laughs) (laughs) But I can kind of understand him more now. because I've never felt such angst and irritation and weariness and fear for the nation, dread um, of having certain conversations or being around certain people. And I think that's kind of how Jonah was. Um, And he kept trying to escape it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, God does amazing things and he just wants to go shrivel up on top of a mountain and, um, I think the weariness is definitely there. Um, it's just, there's a lot going on. Hmm. And, and Trump is a symptom. Right. He's not the problem. He is a symptom of the problem that's within our country. And I was talking to some individuals this weekend that I never would have thought I would hear such hateful, um, guised racism and it cut me deeply to know that there are people that that I think or thought highly of, and I start questioning how I view them. Hmm. It's something that impeachment's not going to fix, if anybody thinks that. Uh, for one, we know we're... We already have the head of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, saying, well, the president's not going to be removed. That's before we have one moment of a a Senate trial. So uh, I think think it can only get worse in some ways uh, uh, coming off off of impeachment and where we are. And maybe maybe I'll play another sound clip here. This is uh, Elisa Slotkin is a is a freshman congressman from Michigan. Um, she was elected in a district that went pretty heavily for Trump in the last election. And uh, she's a Democrat and ha- and came out this week and said she is going to vote for impeachment. Uh, some of those in those tough uh, Trump districts are being allowed by the Democratic Party to vote uh, their conscience as they want to vote. This is what she had to say. And, and the, the audio is not great, but listen to the people in the background at the same time as you're listening to what she has to say. I will be voting yes on obstruction of Congress. And all I can ask from the people who are listening is that um, while we may not agree, I hope you believe me when I tell you that I made this decision out of principle and out of a duty to protect and defend the Constitution. I feel that in my bones, and I will stick to that regardless of what it does to me politically, because this is bigger than politics. (laughs) 
So that sounds like a pretty contentious meeting that she was in there. Yeah. So we're it, we're so divided as a people, and I, I, I you know, the thing I, I like about that clip is I, I, all I've wanted through this whole thing, Republican, Democrat, on the impeachment, the talk, I wanted to see that there actually was a desire to get to some truth and and to have some decorum and to have some real discussion. Unfortunately, I don't know that we saw that in the impeachment hearings and and just the decorum of people like we've lost our ability to even be courteous with one another, it seems. And the demeanor, and I would probably say particularly of the Republican congressmen, uh, congressional representatives I saw up there was there was just a severe lack of decorum uh, in in our politics and in our discussions about politics these days, would you say? Oh, yeah. It was extremely disheartening to watch the testimonies and to see how um, our elected officials that are supposed to be leaders and diplomats, I would, I want politicians to be diplomats. I don't yeah. want them to be slimy, sleazy individuals who are just out for a vote. I want them to be people who are thoughtful and, and wanting to, like our framers, um, get together, hash stuff out, but with a sense of decorum. Um, and I did not see that. Yelling and screaming and um, complete theatrics. We've got to do better, Paul. Yeah. Where are the, the statesmen? Or, you know, I even said, where, wherefore art thou Howard Baker? You know, Howard Baker was the Republican uh, senator that stood up and, and said, what did Richard Nixon know? And, you know, what did the president know? And when did he know it? That really started the demise of of Richard Nixon. And the amazing thing is Nixon had people around him saying, hey, you know, you're in some trouble here. And it just doesn't seem like we have any of those guys, any of those people have have left, the, left the building, so to speak, and, and uh, we've just left the kids behind. So it's a little bit scary. How do we how do we get somebody to stand up and say, I mean, I guess we hear Elisa Slotkin there. She's definitely putting her chance of re-election on the line there by saying, hey, I don't care if this costs me politically. I, I would like to hear more of our leaders saying, I don't care what the political cost is of this. I'm going to do what I think is right. Yeah, I think that's the do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Hmm. Um, it's more about doing the right thing than winning an election. And, hmm. and when you have politicians who are worried about winning an election to get in office the next time around, I worry about the decisions that they're making. Yeah. They're not decisions for posterity of the institution, but for posterity of the individual. And I, I struggle with individual over group. Yeah. I think that uh, many of the elected officials I've met, and I've had some opportunity to meet many through my relationship in, in my household with my wife's elected position. And I, and I really haven't met a lot of them that I would just say, that's a corrupt person who got in this to get, get wealthy. I, I really haven't met those people yet. Um, but, but seeing how the system pulls at you to choose a side and then get to a place where the right decision is going to impact your chance of winning that next election or getting to that next position or moving. I've seen how that starts to d deteriorate the morals of people and watching some of the congressmen and some who I have friends who know those congressmen who are on the 
on the intelligence committee there and saying, that's not the same person that I used to know. Um, I, so I think if you start making political um, allowances in your heart, certainly as an elected official, that can start pulling on you. And I guess sort of what I'm asking today, even of myself, I ask on a regular basis, like, am I choosing a side and am I starting to root for something? And how do I keep my heart pure and say, okay, God, what is your view of this rather than becoming the other side of the coin of, of uh, what I'm struggling with? How do we, how do we keep our heart pure in the middle of that, Janae? Well, as you're talking, the um, David's prayer after Bathsheba created me a clean heart. Yeah. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Um, I, I know I need to say that multiple times a day. Um, the corruption of heart and the, um, the focus um, of people has gone away from truth and from justice and from peace mercy well let me see what are the fruits of the spirit <laughs> love, joy, love joy patience yeah so, some self-controls in there somewhere yeah and we're not seeing that and yeah. we're not seeing that from religious leaders in the church and you know uh, so i was in an airport and they were playing um like a this is the 80s type show and it was a countdown of, of what had occurred in the 80s and just the gross love of money that it was showing. Um, our hearts have not been turned in the right direction for several decades. Mm. Um, and the human heart constantly has to be turned back to God. Adam and Eve walked with him. Who knew him better? And they were deceived and tempted. And um, how much more do we need to be constantly aware that we've got to turn our eyes back to Jesus? That's an interesting thing. Now that's got that's got me thinking. Um, I think we've obviously um, keeping the economy strong has been a, a big issue for a long time. It's what I hear from a lot of people. Well, the economy's good, so therefore, all these other things will let go. And, and I'm with you. I don't think Donald Trump is the problem. I think he's the manifestation of the problem. But the but the manifestation of the problem that we see is I I think he's he's not the first president to be sold out to the love of money. But I think he's the first president to say, you're a sap if you're not. I, I mean, he's, he's the first one to say, this is who we are. Yeah, Saudi Arabia is bad, but they buy planes from us. So we're going to make that decision. I mean, he's the, he, and maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we needed this to come to light. But, he's, but to me, he's the first president that, that totally eschews any moral compass of anything and just is blatant about it. Yep. Those guys are our friends because we make money off them and we're going to make whatever we ha deal, whatever we have to do to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves financially. I guess I see that as the, as the danger of the era we're in today. Yeah. But again, back to that show on the eighties, they were showing pictures of, of Tammy Baker and Jimmy Swagger and Falwell and all of these others. And you look at that, and they were espousing the same thing, but they were doing it under the cross. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, some of them sitting there <laughs> underneath big crosses, completely bedazzled. And um, we accepted it. Mm. And it's the same people that accepted them and didn't struggle with the um, 
the desire, their desire for money and building bigger and bigger barns um, are the same people that are thinking that Trump is, is God's answer to our country. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be like lancing a boil. We'll be cutting off part of it, whether he stays in office, which I'm, I bet I feel he probably will, or if he leaves, it's just going to open that up so that the infection just oozes even more. And the closer we get, the more vile and hateful and, and um, venomous the speech is from Christians. Yeah. Yeah, talking about civil war, right? Mm-hmm. What happened to let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, Paul here. Hope you'll uh, give me a chance to take a break here in this great conversation with Janae Gilreath, our candidate for uh, state office in Northwestern Arkansas. But I want to tell you some things coming up in 2020. I'm really looking forward to the holidays and getting a little vacation. I hope you do as well. And I, I just pray for restoration and peace and a wonderful time in your family over the holiday. But then 2020 comes and I'm just so excited about the things we have planned for the nonpartisan evangelical for the new year. If I listed them all, it would take too much time. So let me just start by saying sign up for our insiders list. If you go to my website at npepodcast.com, right in the middle of uh, the top of the page there, it says join the NPE community. Click on that button, sign up for our insiders list, and you'll get uh, updates on everything going on in the nonpartisan evangelical world. But let me just tell you a couple of things very quickly. One thing I'm very excited about in 2020 is Joseph the Audiobook. Uh, many of you know I, I've written a novel called Joseph Comes to Town with the subtitle When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. And uh, I'm going to be recording that in audio and reading that. And we're going to release it on our Patreon site in serial form. And I want to do it this way because I want to build community around this. I don't just want you to, to uh, listen to this book by yourself necessarily and walk away. But I'm going to put it out in, in chapters at a time, then give my commentary on it, and then ask for you to give your input and discussion on what you're reading and hearing and share that as a community. That's coming in January or late January. Also, I have a, a millennials discussion group. We're still working on the name on this. And if you have an idea of a name, send it to me. But it's going to be something uh, to the uh, like old pastor talks about scary topics. And, and it's a millennial discussion group where not only where I want to share what I have to say, but I want to hear from millennials about what they say about the evangelical church and its uh, its stand on, on abortion and, and passing a very, very prohibitive law against abortion, homosexuality, uh, suicide, climate change, and sustainability. And even uh, we'll talk some about where did the Bible come from and, and what do we know we can trust in it. And I want to have a really honest conversation with millennials who may not be able to have that conversation uh, in the confines of their own family or their own church. And so that's coming up. And then also through the year, we'll be doing communion together and having spiritual moments. And last thing I would tell you, uh, even though there's many other things coming, 
my wife and I are going to be doing living room events. So we're going to go to the homes of friends or a location that they like and join with 10 to 15, 20 of their friends and just talk about our journey and the journey we're on as the nonpartisan evangelical. If you'd like to host one of these events, uh, again, you can go to the website and there's a contact us button. Or if you have any questions on anything I'm talking about specifically, click on that contact us button at the npepodcast.com website. And let me know. Say, I'd like to host one of those events or ask me a question and I'll get back to you right away. And to keep updated on all the amazing stuff coming in 2020, click on that Join the NPE Community button right at the top of our npepodcast.com website. And I look forward to building greater relationship with you because I don't want you just to listen to me talk to this microphone. I want to hear from you and this to be a community of discussion together, perhaps for some that don't have any other faith community at all. I want to to be together in this as we go through what's going to be a fairly rocky election year of 2020. Love you all. Now back to this really interesting and amazing discussion I get to have with Janae Huffman Gilreath, a Democratic candidate for a state legislature in Northwest Arkansas. And I'm glad you're here to listen to it with us on the NPE podcast at npepodcast.com and available anywhere you listen to your podcast. It seems like a lot of things have gone by the wayside, and uh, uh, I, and it, it does. It keeps me scratching my head. I think, though, and again, I've, like I said, I've, I feel like I've been reading in Jeremiah and, and Lamentations, which we assume was written by Jeremiah because it seemed to be sort of that same era and same tone. And, and here was a guy that was kind of the lone voice out there saying, hey, we're way off track, guys, and it's going to lead to our destruction. Uh, which which he turned out to be correct in that that Babylon did come and destroy them. Mm-hmm. I guess in the midst of that, then the the message is God saying, "But that's my mercy for you." That actually having Babylon come and destroy the system and destroy what's happening here is is my mercy to bring you back to your heart for me. And and maybe there maybe things have to get this bad in America in some way. And, and actually just what we saw happen in Britain with their vote, it's, it's really happening there. It's kind of a, a, a spiritual thing happening across the West and, and maybe even more, but maybe this is what has to happen for our attention to be turned from what has been, I think at least 50 years of us being politically partnered, say in the Republican party and, and the anti-abortion movement is our hope and seeing the the manifestation of the fruit in that in this season may be what we need to happen to to draw us back to God. So I, so I'm I'm with you. I've been lamenting a lot over the last week and a half or so of why am I grieving that we're going to have a president impe- impeached and the president doesn't seem to be grieving that that he's going to be impeached. Where is where is the grieving and the desire for a clean heart in in our leaders today? But but. Sorry, so I'm kind of rambling on as I'm processing out loud here, but maybe that lamentation ourselves is what we need to start to bring a repentance of of the church that can then start to bring some of a repentance in our culture, perhaps? I hope, but I see so many good people hurt and pushed away from the cause of Christ because of Christians in the meantime, and that hurts. I mean, that that hurts the cause of Christ, and it hurts humanity. Hmm. 
So what's the message that pulls us back there? What, what, is, the, what is the heart's desire of the Christian? Um, I actually had uh, a post on social media the other day of asking people why they had left the church. And when you start hearing the stories of why people have stopped going to church in, in America and, and a, the uh, most church denominations or types of church and church going overall in America is definitely in a big slide. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's because people are just becoming more evil. I think they're just not finding what they're looking for in church buildings anymore, would you say? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I married my husband, he had been out of church for a while, or not when I married him, when I met him. Um, and he talked about how it was so hard going to church and needing to find um, peace but going there and feeling worse. And it wasn't, um, it was just the, I guess the hypocrisy and the judgmentalism and the condemnation that was put out from the pulpit. Um, and it wasn't the words of Christ of, of bringing love and acceptance and, and again, the fruit of the spirit why aren't we preaching those things? That's what the world needs. We've got plenty of hell without Christians giving it. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've got to stand for truth. Yeah. You know, truth, truth can handle itself. Yeah. You know, we don't need to defend Jesus. Um, He's already won. God, if God's in control of everything, why do we need to be his crusaders? Um, We need to be there helping people along the way. Um, God can take care of himself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's maybe what, what we miss, that a lot of uh, what, what Jesus was stressed about were not the things we're stressed about. Um, I, I, don't see, I don't see a lot of him saying, we need to pass laws to ban things to make sure people obey in a, in a biblical way. I never say him see anything about, yes, truly love your nation and be nationalistic and and that's a really important thing and um and so and and you know passing laws to make sure you know all i I just don't see that from him i I, it's a very different theology than blessed are the peacemakers right which was a really radical thing for him to say at the time and would be a radical thing for him to say today especially yeah it would um, and they thought he was the warrior king coming in. Yeah. Warriors don't bring peace. Yeah. They bring righteousness. <laughs> and, um, you know, Jesus didn't, he was not an argumentative. He was very, he would try, people would try to corner him and he would answer with a question. Yeah. Set them on their heels, but he wasn't looking for a fight. He was trying to make people be introspective. Yeah. Yeah, I was telling somebody this week, Jesus, uh, in, in one of my writings, he, he didn't go seek out the Pharisees to go try to fix them. They, they, they came to him. Yeah. They were trying to get him. The pot stirrers. Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting point. And, and uh, I, you know, he said, I'm here for the people with eyes to see and ears to hear. Maybe some of our discouragement is, is we're trying to get people to change that just don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah. You know, and and my heart is really breaking right now with um, the kids who are being held at the border. Mm. And 
the three that have died in the past month with flu being held in detention and and the doctors that were arrested for trying to administer flu shots and those are things where i look at it and go what would jesus have done yeah i think it is my mom and i had this discussion the other day because it is easy to get discouraged and to feel weary and why say anything if i know i'm just going to be attacked and i'm not going to change their mind and I don't think I'm going to change anybody's mind and I'm not out there to change anybody's mind. Um, but evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Right. And I've had friends say it, it helped me knowing one that you cared and two that we had an ally. So it's worth it. Yeah. I can handle it. Bring it on. No, don't really. I don't really want to persecute it, but <laughs> Is there any of us that really don't like being not liked? That's not very yeah. good grammar, but do any of us like being not liked? I'm not going to be the volunteer martyr, you know, but, <laughs> but if there are people who have, who don't have the capacity to defend themselves or who, who don't have anyone to, that they feel is an ally then yeah, I'll stand up all day long. Hmm. I went to an event recently uh, that was a, a, a table talk discussion with uh, people who identify themselves as gay and as Christians, which some of some of us would say that's not possible. That, that can't be. But these were gay Christians telling their story. And when I walked into the event, um, they asked us to put on a name badge and they asked us to write our pronouns. And I didn't really know what that meant to write my pronouns. I'm like, okay, what do I write? And so somebody helped me to, you know, he, he, him, his. That's what it was. He, him, his. Those were my pronouns. And so I'm like, okay, great. Wrote them on there. I was wearing that, you know, one of those stick-on name badges. And uh, somebody came up who knew me, who had known me from uh, an old church we had gone to a long time before I started my own. And he just, he came up and... And said, it means the world to me that you're here. It means the world to me that you're here. And he said, and then that you would write your pronouns on your name badge just makes me feel like there's hope in the world. And I thought, my gosh, this, this cost me nothing. This co it cost me nothing. There was no admission fees. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I'll have some people that are upset with me for hanging out at such an event. But but for the most part, it cost me nothing, and it meant everything to this young man. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to be that person to the world? Right. And to me, it looks like that's, that's where Jesus, he went and sat with those people. And that's when the religious good people, the Sunday school teachers of the society said, look who he sits with. Yeah. So why wouldn't, but, I, I, but it was gratifying. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Yeah, does that not heart, do your heart better than being patted on the back by someone who prays loudly on the street corner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think we can wrestle through. I, I did have a discussion today with somebody. I, I mean, I think it's, it's appropriate for America to say we want to know who's coming through our borders. Absolutely. I, I think totally fair. And I applaud the President Trump for doing it. I know it was a problem for President Obama as well. Uh, the border is is actually a crisis I think we could solve if 
if we could get through the politics of it. But I think what I hear you saying is, but let's start with a heart of compassion. The, the well, bottom line, and, and that's where I think we have a problem, is we have a president that's saying, if you have compassion, you're a sucker. Yeah. Compassion is for suckers. And I think compassion is for Americans. I think that's what made America a special place. And so let's start with compassion, and then we can work on righteousness from there. But if you start with sort of this righteousness idea, then you're going to go into legalism and do something that doesn't include God's heart for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's just start with compassion. That your neighborism? The neighborism, you saw that. I did. That's my new word. Well, it's so apropos. Yeah. I mean, that weird to love our neighbor. I mean, let's just start with loving our neighbor and then work to as ourselves. Yeah. But, you know, we don't even we don't even like our neighbor. Yeah. So if, if Jesus was on earth telling Devin Nunes that you have to love Adam Schiff, if you love God, you have to love Adam Schiff. Or, or telling Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi, if you love God, you have to love the other. Yeah. That, would, that would be just a start right there. Yeah. That it's a requirement. Because that's how he defined neighbor was actually the, the Samaritan which was the most hated subculture in the culture at the time. Mm -hmm. So he said, unless you love the Samaritan, you don't love God. Yeah. Now let's start with that message. That's a good one right there, Jenny. The irony for me when Nancy Pelosi said, and, and I'm sure you know people that know her mm -hmm. being there and being so close, but I know people who have worked with some of her staff and she does have a very religious um, bent. She was raised in a religious home and does practice. And for, when she said, I pray for the president and I pray for his family daily, and she was crucified mm -hmm. by the religious right. How on earth can she pray? She doesn't understand prayer. Or how, I mean, would God listen to her? And then for Trump to say, well, why would you pray for me? Why are we now crucifying people who are praying? <sighs> Yeah. I would say, bring it on. I, I want people of every stripe to pray yeah. um, and to pray for, quote, our enemy and people who despitefully use us. I mean, that was in the Bible too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. And, and I think, and so in just being honest, sometimes that gets a little hard for me. I, I want to be right and I want to win. And so I want whoever the other side is to to for God to show them that I'm right. And I think that's the wrestling match always. It's like, I've got to pull myself back. Even, even in wanting to win an argument or a social media interaction, I have to say, okay, God, if, if I'm wanting to win for my self-gratification, then, then that's my reward is winning an argument. And I actually want the reward to be for me to get to see God's peace, God's shalom, God's kingdom of heaven, whatever that looks like in the Bible to be, be present around me on earth. And that means I have to give up my right to want to win. Yeah. Oof, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. Yeah. But I think it's a good challenge for people. Do I, do, do I want to win the argument and do I want my side to win or do I want to see goodness happen around me? 
you know, if we looked at it in human eyes, had we been there with um, Peter and John and Jesus didn't win when they put him on the cross. Right. You know, his argument wasn't one. He didn't prove that he was the Messiah, the son of God being hung up there. It's now looking back. It's in retrospect that we see what he won. Um, boy, becoming more Christ-like is, is pretty hard. Yeah. So do you think Jesus would be engaged in politics? How, what would his engagement, if Jesus were in the flesh on earth today, what do you think his engagement with culture would be? Do I win a million dollars? How are we going to know if I'm, if I'm right, if I win? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, you know, politics, I'm not sure. Policy, yes. Um, I think he would very much be involved in policy. Um, but who wins an election and um, who's right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he would definitely be asking questions or making statements that would make people think. Yeah. Yeah. He would say things like, you've heard it said, but I say. And I think that would be a tactic he would use a lot today. And. Yeah. I've been trying to think of what those would, would sound like. And I, uh, I, I was thinking of one of, if he would say, you've heard it said that we need a law banning abortion. I say we need to care about all people equally and care about the baby after it's born as much as we care about it in the womb. Amen. <laughs> and then Christians would hate him for saying things like that. He'd be crucified again. <laughs> he would. <laughs> he would. So we need a we need a few more cage rattlers than that. How do you approach this then as you're involved in politics? And I totally agree with your statement that you said there. I, I think Jesus wouldn't care a lick about politics. He would care, uh, I would say it this way, a ton about government. Government would matter a lot to him because government uh, is is uh, you know sort of a, a symbol of the of the shalom of a community. And again, I'm not sure he would care about who's elected or what, but how government and how peace is being governed in a city. So as you're entering this in a political realm and a political system, how, what, what's your process for resisting the enticement of politics in office? Uh, so I'm going in fully anticipating being one term, um, that this is not a career, but I don't know that I necessarily feel called as people like to say I was called to do this. Um, I I really feel like there needs to be a voice and, um, you know, kind of like Esther for such a time as this, if nobody else is standing up and I truly believe that people need protection, I've got to do it. I have to stand up. And if I win, I'll go in and do my best. If I don't win, then I'm still going to be a voice there calling people, um, making sure people are held to a, held accountable and to account and that questions are asked and um, that our legislators are lobbied by true citizens, not just corporations. Um, I'm, I'm out to do good. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and, and that's what drives me. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and when you when you don't go in with the thought of okay, now I've got to win my next election, then that that takes away a whole lot of enticement into things you wouldn't want to be enticed into. So that's good. I hope so. I mean, I still pray for that clean heart. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm excited that you're running. And, and for those that didn't hear the first time on, you have this is your second time going for the same position, correct? It is, yes. In a very Republican area. True. <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to make things heavier on you. I, I think, go ahead. Sarah Huckabee Sanders just moved back to the state and is planning on running for governor. If that, you know, gives you any indication. <laughs> It, now it was a, it, it was a, Bill Clinton was a two-term governor there, but but uh, yes. we've we've moved a little bit away from that, I guess, in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, as I hear you talking, one of the things I'm I'm thinking of and remembering is you know Elijah was, you know, I'm reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he just didn't have a lot of good things to say, and not many people listened to what he had to say. Um, but we know him to today, and we know that his that he was hearing God when, when a whole bunch of people around him that were maybe more popular and had more social media followers didn't. Um, and Elijah was like that, and Elijah was like, I'm the only one, God kill me. And, and then God told him, no, nope, not true. I actually have a whole bunch of people that I've preserved just like you, mm-hmm. and, and my plan is still in place. And so I think for, for you and me both, as we're feeling heavy over this, I think God would say, you think you're the only ones you are wrong i i have a plan i have preserved others just like you and it's going to be okay that doesn't mean it's not going to be painful but it's going to be ultimately okay yeah and that's got to be our hope ultimately Good words. yeah because we again reading lamentations as, as painful as it is to see the pain of Jeremiah seeing his people get ransacked and taken into a foreign land as slaves, that's also the book where we get some of our favorite verses from the Bible. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And so I think in times like today is maybe when we really, really learn what dependence on God looks like. And so it may actually be a a special, special opportunity for us that looks like darkness. So they were in captivity, what, 70 years? 70 years or so. They I think it was about 76 ultimately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and, and what I hear from the current generation, I don't hear from the up and coming generations. And so yeah. this, uh, the millennial and the Gen Zers are going to be taken over very soon. And uh, I definitely don't think they carry the same heart of the generations that are exiting leadership now. Yeah. We just have to be kind of like Aaron was for Moses, Aaron and Miriam, and keep their arms raised. Yeah. Not, don't let them get discouraged. Yeah. And I do think, I think that's part of the job for people like you you and me, I guess. We would be Xers and, and our job. I think part of where we've gone off the rails as a country is we've forgotten that it's really about generations. The, the, God talks to us in generations that what we do impacts to the fourth generation. And I think we're supposed to be thinking all the time about our children's children's children. And what are we doing to impact a generation that will never know our name? Um that means you don't run up $23 trillion deficits and you certainly don't do a, a trillion, 1.2 trillion of it in a year as we've done in 19, in 2019. 
Um, but if we start thinking, okay, my job is to impact to four generations, three generations from me, um, I start to think differently about the world and about how I live. Yeah, you know, so the chapter that has really been on my heart lately is James 5. And if you'll read that chapter, it is, um, it has hit me so profoundly. And out of the message is my favorite way to read it. It brings new light to it. But it talks about, you know, we've had this love of money and we've um, raped and pillaged the earth. And, you know, I look at that and we've, we've used our, um, our laborers and we've mistreated the, um, the aliens, which is not a, a good term to use anymore, but those who've come into our land. And, you know, I look at that and go, oh my goodness, this is so on point for where we are right now. Um, and then it, it just, it, it basically at the end, it just gives you hope. Yeah. So hold on to James 5. All right. James is a tough guy, though. He is a very tough guy. (laughs) 5 is all I can handle right now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, and stay away from Lamentations for a while and go to, I don't know, Song of Solomon or something that's a little bit... (laughs) Lighter and you know, one Song of Solomon is that book we used to look at when I was a kid and think we were reading something dirty. So, yeah, you had you had a pastor for a dad like I did, so you probably know some of those same same tricks as I do. Or and we were in you know King James version uh, times of the Bible, so you know it had words like ass and damn in it, and that was kind of fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Janae. Well, be filled with hope. I still think there's hope in the midst of all of this. That doesn't mean it's not going to get a little bit uglier in the coming days, but but ultimately our hope is beyond the American government and anything else that's going to happen, and it's to a, a kingdom that's bigger than all of that. Amen. All right, well, we'll talk to you again soon. We'll keep track of how your election is going and, and keep the faith. And so blessings to you and your, your family and, and kids and husband and all that good stuff. Thank you, Paul. Same to you guys. All right, hope you've enjoyed this uh, interesting discussion with Janae Gilreath, this Democratic candidate for the state legislature in Arkansas. And don't forget all the amazing stuff we have coming up in 2020. You have to get on the NPE Insiders list. Click the Join the NPE Community button on the npepodcast.com website. I'll give you a free copy of my ebook, The Making of Joseph, with three free chapters of my book just for signing up. So go to Join the NPE Community and you'll learn about our Millennials Discussion Group coming up in 2020, Joseph, the audiobook and its release. Uh, we take communion together, spiritual moments. I want you to join for that. And the living room events my wife and I will be doing in 2020. So look forward to hearing from you. Join the nonpartisan evangelical community by clicking the Join the NP Community button at our website, npepodcast.com. Here's blessings on your holiday season with your family. May it be peaceful, restful, and restorative to you as you get ready for an amazing 2020. We'll see you again on the Nonpartisan Evangelical. <laughs>